Hello and welcome to another episode of our show. Today's guest is Levy Newman, which is actually a pseudonym used to protect the guest's anonymity. Levy Newman is a Canadian citizen who was arrested in the United States for drug possession and trafficking charges. He is here today to tell us the story of his incarceration, freedom, and integration back into society. I appreciate the vulnerability and courage it takes for him to share such a story with you, the listener, and I thank you for listening. If you like our show, please be sure to leave some feedback for us at robsprobablywrong at gmail.com. I can't wait to connect with you and hear what you think about our show. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered, this is an open mind, and you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. <laughs> Do it. I did just start recording just to see how it is. Okay. So if you want to say something. lingus. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right, so we're joined here today by uh, a man whose uh, anonymity we will we will keep a secret. So for record's sake, we'll just call it, uh, <laughs> fuck, I don't know, Scorpio. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell us a little bit. Bobby mentioned that uh, you were in the prison system six months. You just got out six months ago. Yeah. And there's a story there. and. Uh, yeah. That's what I was hoping that you could you could share with us today. The story of how one falls down a crazy path and how, ends up. Yes, and hopefully well, the, the the redemptive arc. <laughs> well, I'd say it all kind of started. I I had a decent little life going. I was pretty happy. I had a girlfriend who I was really in love with, and career was going the right direction. And honestly, all of a sudden, one day she just said, "I can't do this anymore." Hmm. Split up, broke my heart. I was pretty upset. The following day, I actually lost my job which was just crazy so i just kind of fell into a little mental breakdown tailspin didn't know what to do with myself and started a just binge party mm. and just started drinking too much just getting into too much drugs and started like cocaine a little too much and yeah found myself in some pretty sketchy places and hanging out in some wrong places and yeah so this is when you sort of stumbled into meeting some people sure yeah yeah, yeah. and of yeah. course we won't mention any names yeah. Yeah. but a choice was made that you know i could i could i spent do a, something i, else. I actually ended up spending some time and it was funny i was almost kind of recruited just because mm-hmm. just being around them and they they seen something in me that <laughs> right. stupid as it sounds they seen some kind of responsibilities and some good qualities and some trustworthiness right. that they could maybe work with so after spending some time around some people and it got proposed to me right. if i'd had any interest in trying to do some illegal activities right in America. <laughs> so how old were you when this this first happened? 39. Okay. 30 uh, 38 when it all kind of first when all that stuff happened I think and then yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, so you had this girlfriend you thought, you know, you had a job, everything was aligned. Yep. Right? You're going in the right direction. Exactly. And then it was severely derailed, mm-hmm. right? And you found yourself Oh yeah. You know, just horrible horrible Tailspin. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they ask you to do this. What was sort of your, your thought process when they asked you? I mean, sounds like you... At first, I actually didn't want anything to do with it. I really right. didn't. I'm like, that's, that's dumb. 
And then the more you hang out in that kind of lifestyle, mm -hmm. you're easily drawn in, right? You see people with some money and there's always young pretty girls hanging around and it's just kind of a, a fun, fast lifestyle. Right. So the more time I spent in that, it got me like, well, you know, maybe. And Right. Yeah. So it, it just sort of came down to like, why not? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And then you, you, there were two sort of stints where this happened. There was one, it was like a trial run, you said? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I kind of did that just to test the waters and it went quick and easy and yeah. So then they asked if I'd want to do it again and yeah. So tell us about the, the second time. Uh, second and, and time. what happened? I mean, you know, not well, mentioning names, yeah. but just what we'll it say that time when I got down there, I ended up, um, I drove my truck and travel trailer down. I was mm -hmm. going to head down to San Diego. And um, so I ended up crossing the border, get down there, no problems, no issues. And as I'm driving down there, I was having all these just bad thoughts. Like I knew deep down in me, it wasn't going to work. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm going to get in trouble here. I'm going to get caught. Like where were, where were you feeling these? In my gut and yeah. my head and my heart, everything just didn't feel right. Um, things weren't the best at home actually either. My, my stepfather was terminally ill. Mm. So that was tough to be leaving that situation. Um, yeah. When I hugged my mom before I left, I, cause I had told, sorry, I told my family I was going to work as a doing a selling fishing trips. Right. So I just made up a little backstory to tell my friends and family, blah, blah, blah. And my mom just knew that something was off and. How long were you like? Were you planning on being down there for? Like, uh, about, what was, about what five was months. The, what was the plan? So, My plan was to be down there for five months because I had done the research on how long a Canadian can be in America, right? Being whatever, and six months I think is the, is the limit. So I wanted to keep it safe and keep it at five. Yeah. So, are, are Are you able to disclose what it was that you were doing? I was um, moving. I was going to be down there moving drugs from just different parts of California up into. Really just California, actually, yeah. From Northern California or Southern California to Northern California. And right. I was just kind of putting it in other people's hands. Okay. So you cross the border, the, the U.S.-Canadian border, and you tell them that you're doing these fishing trips. Yep. Was it before you crossed the border, or when did you get these, these bad feelings? <laughs> the day I left, actually, because I hugged my mom in my driveway, and she just collapsed in my arms and started crying. So did she know what was actually going on? No, nobody knew. Yeah, I okay. didn't and nobody knew nothing. Like I didn't tell even the my closest of friends what I was doing and not dare tell my family. But yeah. yeah, so that was that made my heart and gut feeling just like yeah. So from there and then just all the way down. So as I'm driving down, I think the first horrible thing that happened was I was going through Oregon and my um one of the bearings blew in my travel trailer. All of a sudden it's smoking horribly and I'm in the canyons, like it's crazy, crazy canyons down there. And so I end up pulling over. I'm stuck on the side of the highway and didn't know what to do really. And what pulls up to help me is a Oregon State Trooper oh, comes great. in behind me, yeah. and I'm fine because I didn't have anything on me, nothing. Oh, you like, didn't have it yet. I didn't have yeah. I, I was see, I was I headed see. down there to get it. Yeah. So and he, yeah, he ends up helping me back off the highway, and it was just kind of in my head. I'm laughing to myself, going, this "That's is, a warning." Yeah, it's yeah. a sign. Like, <laughs> yeah, is yeah. that easy? Because, yeah. My original train of thought to go down there and do this stuff too is so easy because they're so overpopulated down there. There's so many people. To me, I was like, I'll just be another person driving up and down the highway. Yeah. Would never be caught, never be noticed. And you won't stick out. Yeah. And then I was there for a day and I've got a police officer helping me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. Made me, I was like, okay, yeah, this is all off. <laughs> so, but, but he didn't catch you because you didn't have anything. Exactly. Right? Yeah. He was, so he, he helps you. He helped me back off. I had to get my trailer fixed and put me behind schedule for about a day. Mm -hmm. And then I, 
carried on down to San Diego. It took me, I think, 20 hours total driving time. Okay. Yeah. Got down to San Diego. I had my dog with me. Figured out that there was a breed band on my certain dog. So I had nowhere to stay, really, because I had a campsite reserved. Right. That fell through. Um, so I started panic mode. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I ended up finding just a sleazy Motel 6 that would take my dog and I. Now, was was the dog always part of the plan? Like, had you Yeah, it was about? It was kind of part of the plan just to look yeah. like an average casual guy, just right. being a tourist, just hanging out with his dog and going right. fishing and... Yeah. So you're at the Motel 6, you're with, what, what's your dog's name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you got your dog. Yeah. And uh, you're at the Motel 6, and then, and then what happens? Uh, I had to figure out what to do then, because I, I still have my travel trailer with me. And so I ended up getting a, a storage unit and parked it there. Yeah. And then... Um, being I was in such a sketchy part of town, I was in National City, actually, which is, like, just a little suburb of San Diego. Right. And, like, I don't know anything about any of these areas. Like, I've never even been down that far into the States. Right. So, it was... You're in a foreign place. Yeah. Like You're not in Kansas anymore. No, right. there's full-on gangbanger stuff going on around. There's oh, there's pimps running women out of this motel. Well, because you're at this shitty Motel 6, yeah, right? Yeah. You're not so in the nice was, part of town. No, so it was it was pretty sketchy. Right. And so I'm just trying to figure out my next move. So my first yeah. move was to get rid of the travel trailer so it's not sitting there parked on the side of the road looking like a heat score. And right. <laughs> I did that. Yeah. And yeah, that was, my, that was the first one from that. And then got a rental car. Okay. And then started started doing my first little deeds around there that I was sent there to do. Right. So how long were you doing this before you got I was only in America for 10 days before I got caught. Okay. Are you able to share how that was that you came to be caught or is that? Yeah, I was, um, I went and actually did a couple little runs and they went fine. And then I went and met this certain other person who, whatever, was my meat person. He wasn't very good at what he was doing like mm-hmm. I, for example we met at a certain place to just figure out where another place a more private place we could meet he blew a red light on his first time <laughs> i hadn't he still had everything on him that i needed to get from him yeah so i was like what the fuck am i getting myself into like right. this yeah so this guy's get, not inconspicuous no so we go yeah we get to our little meat spot we do our transaction and then i find out i got to meet him again a couple days later so i go to meet him and I meet him, our spot, our normal spot was taken, so he's like, follow me. So we're driving up, we end up some cul-de-sac, and as I'm driving, I notice this car start up and come behind me, mm-hmm. and we fall, so we, we're going to this cul-de-sac, and this car, I noticed, drives by me, and I made eye contact with the person, and all, their interior light was on, and I was like, that's a cop. Yeah. Full on, that's a cop, and it's not, whatever, Thing, everything was already done at that point, so I drive off, carry on. And um, I was just about to get on the highway to head back to my uh, storage unit to drop off the stuff I'd picked up because that's what I was doing. I didn't want to have it on me or in my vehicle. Um, So, yeah, I was getting on the highway. I was in a rental car at this time. I wasn't driving my truck because I didn't want the BC plates. So I was driving a rental car with California plates. So, sorry, just going back, when when that car drove past with the interior lights on, Mm -hmm. you continued to do the... We, yeah, we sky. carried on around the corner, and that right. car didn't come. So okay. we, we were in a very we ended up going around the corner to a dark place. God, got and you. like literally jumped out. It was a package of what? Yay, big. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Ended up being it was eleven kilos of cocaine. 
So right. I grabbed that and I just threw it in my back seat. How much is 11 kilos of cocaine worth? Is that like $100,000? According to the courts down there, they say like a million dollars or something crazy. Or, or maybe it's 500000 because in total, I got busted with 22 kilos because I had 11 on me and I had 11 more in the storage unit. Gotcha. And I'm trying to think back to what the court paper said, but they always make it an astronomical yeah, yeah, number. Yeah. But They want to get you. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. So They're was, not trying to help you out. No, not at they all. They round up. Oh, absolutely. Not down. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, sorry. You guys do that. We do that. We part our ways, yeah. And so I go to, and I get in the highway. Just as I'm about to get to the highway exit, um, police car rolls up behind me. So, obviously, my heart rate jumps mm -hmm. and it's going. And I get on the highway and I drive, doing the speed limit, keeping it all normal. And then as soon as I put on the signal to change lanes, he throws his lights on. So, my heart drops. I'm like, right. awesome. Yeah. It goes to everything. So I ended up pulling over and... What thought was running through your head? Do you remember? I'm never going to see my dog. <laughs> or my family. That's really it. Yeah. Sucked. My dog was with me. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's coming through my head. <laughs> How quickly my life was going to be over. Right. So... Yeah, they, they get me pulled over. First officer walks up on the one side, and the two more come on the other side, and they just ask me, like, where I'm going, what's my story, blah, blah, blah. And I show my ID, and they figure out I'm from BC, and they ask, just start to ask me tons of questions. And uh, next thing I know, there's another cop car there, and they're telling me that I'm being pulled over for the drinking and driving. Right. So I said, like, right then, I'm like, I know something's up. I'm like, yeah. no, I knew I wasn't driving erratically. I wasn't driving crazy. I mean, I have... 11 kilos of cocaine sitting behind the passenger seat. So, yeah. Next thing I know, I think in total, there ended up being like 16 officers there and they were just, they made me do a field sobriety test and then they waited till a border agent got there with a the dog, the drug dog. So, because I didn't know so that. they, they I, hadn't discovered the, the cocaine yet. Well, that's what I found out after is it was all a setup. They were helping the DEA and agents because the guy I picked up from was under surveillance. So that's the only the guy reason. who blew the red light. Yeah. No fucking. The, he, and yeah. so I got all my court paperwork. He was actually under surveillance from the beginning of October, like October second or something like that. And I got arrested on October eighteenth. So he was under surveillance oh. for a couple of weeks. Right. So they were watching him. So yeah. So, so they basically sent me, and that's how they got. I learned it actually well incarcerated watching Drugs Inc. and stuff. I was basically the search warrant for them. They pulled me over, found something on me. So they knew that I got that from him. So right. that gave them their search warrant and they went and searched him yeah. and got his stash house. Okay. So, so you were the smaller yeah. fish yeah. to this guy who was obviously the bigger fish. Exactly. So, yeah. Now they pull you over. There's 16 cop cars. You're doing a field sobriety test. <laughs> At this point, did they know, did they see the, the cocaine? The, they, they kept walking by with flashlights and looking in and they yeah. kept making a big deal about my dog because he's a large breed dog. Right. And, um, and they kept, they kept looking back there and they never said anything. They never even asked me what was in there. Cause they knew. They asked, yes. Yeah. So yeah. they, they, they asked, they asked where There's I was coming from, where I'm going. There, right? Yeah. They, they knew what the fuck was going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. So they did all that. And I didn't know that I could refuse the search. I had no idea about this. Cause then they, I just assumed the fucking toast no matter what. Yeah. So when the board agent well, got there with the guilty, dog. you knew you were guilty, right? Yeah. When yeah. the board agent got there with the dog, they were like, do you, you okay if we run our dog through your car? 
And in my head, I'm like, you can fucking see that. There. Yeah. What do you need your dog You're for? You're saying I have a choice? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. they, like, they couldn't even open the door. They, didn't even, they weren't even going in there for anything. Yeah. So I said, sure, go ahead. And the dog just got to the back seat or the back door, and he jumped up on it, and that was it. So they asked me to turn around and put me in handcuffs right then and there. And were they? Uh, were they? They were very good with me because I was very polite with them. Right. Oh, and then after that, I'm like, I just, I got. They're like, do you have anything to say? I'm like, no. I said I asked for two pairs of handcuffs just so I can be comfortable. That's it. Yeah. I told him about my dog. I said he's very friendly. He's not harmful, and I begged them not to do anything with him. So. I got um, going over there. They actually took me out of my cuffs again just to get my dog out. And I grabbed my dog. He actually jumped out. was super, super good. I handed him over, and he just sat by the officer, and they took him off. What what happened with the dog? He ended up going to... We got taken to the same place. I could hear him barking while I was in a holding tank in the back, and then the San Diego Humane Society came and picked him up. And they took him, and that's actually how my family ended up finding out I was even in trouble or gone because I didn't... Talk to them, they got a letter saying that um, we have your dog, and if he's not picked up or claimed by October 31st, he'll be destroyed or put up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And they actually put destroyed first because I ended up getting a copy of the same letter. Right. Well, where the first place I was at. So, yeah. But dog was picked up by your family? My ex girlfriend, actually, the one who broke my heart. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She ended up. Uh, or between her and my sister, they wouldn't give my dog to my sister. They needed to give a proof of ownership. Mm-hmm. My ex was on one of the contact lists for the kennel we used to board him at. So my, my ex paid fourteen or $1,600 to get him flown from San Diego to Seattle. And then she drove down there and picked him up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that was amazing. That's a happy uh, that was amazing. Story, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, okay. So now you're, you're in San Diego, I guess a holding. Yeah. The, so, for, yeah. yeah. They, they kept me there the, through state police. Went through the whole, I don't know, I got, I think I got pulled over like eight or seven or eight o'clock at night. I can't remember, obviously, because it was October, it was fall time. And I just remember having the, I never knew why, but I figured it out after. Hmm. I slept. I honestly just fell asleep in the little tiny holding tank. Right. It was obviously just my adrenaline just yeah. Yeah. depleted me. Like I was done. And I just remember getting woken up saying, come on. And they took me to the big little county jail downtown. Now, when you slept, like, were you just like, you know, do you, do you remember your dreams? Or are you just like, this isn't real? I, me- um, I didn't even have any of those thoughts. I just, I, I, it was insane. It was almost just kind of bliss, if that makes sense. I was happy that the stress I was feeling of driving and doing what I was doing was over. That was, you'd been caught. Yeah. Honestly, right. yeah. Because I was. Because the whole it, time it was, was you were on adrenaline. It's stressful. Right? It's stressful. Like, I couldn't imagine what my blood pressure was like or anything like that. Like. It was extremely stressful, just always watching over your shoulder. It was not a great feeling. Whether you're watching over your shoulder for law enforcement, other people who want to rob you, like everything, like yeah. it was tough. It was, it was stressful. So that moment I had in that little tiny six by six cell was, it was weird. You're safe. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of goes for like anything in life, you yeah. know, when you're you're living a life that isn't, you know, who you know you are. Yeah. Doing dishonest things. Yeah. yeah. It catches up. Exactly. To anybody. Exactly. So you're in this cell, you're in a safe place. Tell us a little bit about the process after that. Um, they come in, they try to make you talk as much as they can. Yeah. They're like, do everything you want to say? And it was like, no. Just flat out no. They asked me, I think, three different times in the time I was in that little tank. And so that, I think it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, finally they took me out of there and took me to the place downtown. 
And then that booking process is quite something, 12 hours. For the first, they, and there's so much examination stuff they do. They obviously strip search you. They put you through x-ray things to see if you got anything keistered. And yeah. And then out of the first holding tank I was in, I got to witness my first little fight between a couple of drug addicts, little craziness. It was, it was insane. Yeah. So again, going back to like, <laughs> what are your thoughts as you're seeing this? What the hell am I going to, I get myself yeah. into? And what is my next, however many years going to be like? How, how long were you thinking that you'd get? I honestly had no idea. I thought like 20 years. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know anything about the judicial system and how that all works. Yeah. I've just watched so many movies. Well, well the States no is a, a lot more punishing. Yeah. yeah. So it was very Canada. scary going through that just with the unknown. And then it's actually the change a lot when you get inside actually there and start talking to people because they let you know like, you're fine. Mm. Cause there was a guy who, um, I was in there with, he actually got busted for the same amount of weight. Right. He got six months. He did, I got, he got sentenced to a year and a half of county time. He only served six months. So once I'm hearing that stuff, I was yeah. like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm good. And right. Yeah. But no. <laughs> so, so what, what happens next? So you're in this I, that was ca- in, county jail? Yeah. I was in right? San Diego County Jail yeah. right downtown. I was there for like two weeks, I think. Hmm. I want to say two weeks. And they ended up figuring out. I got a job there right away and it was called the trustees right. and that's where you just, you have to work around the prison. You serve food and do other stuff like that around and clean or whatnot. That's almost pretty smart. I think. Yeah. I was trying to get the most, good I was trying to get the safest yeah. place I could possibly be on the start. Cause the first two days I was in the regular stuff. It was not cool. Are it you was, able to share that? Yeah, it was just anything you've seen on TV and those shows. Yeah. Like that's a no joke with the gangbanger life and nothing is no, the notice. They don't care about you. You're just another guy. They want to try to rob you. They want to hurt you. They want to. Right. Yeah. Use you as an example of their power. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So were you in some pretty threatening situations or were you Not just... in there. I kept to myself. I just stayed in my cell. And when it was eating, I didn't think I ate for the first day or two. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I just kept to myself. I only talked to the guy I was locked up with. And one guy, he was a young, uh, young native kid actually. And he told me about the trustee thing. And he's like, hey, man, sign up for this. He actually brought me the form. He goes, it'll get you out of this situation, hopefully. And yeah. So you hadn't been to a judge yet? You had no. had court No, yet. I think um, I got, uh, yeah, no, it took three days, four days before I go to court. So I was in the regular part for the or housing for two or three days. And then I got to the trustee tank pretty quickly after that. Okay. And then I went to court. So you're, you go to court. What was that process like? Was your family there? I mean, no, no. Right. And all that process is, is actually, they, there's so many different steps where you just, one day you go and they just read you your charges. One day you go, you got to go and they ask you if you plead guilty. And like, there's, there's like, it's a lot of court dates. I think right. I went just to the county process. I went for I think 10 court dates because then people, your lawyers argue stuff, this and that. But, um, it took until, my lawyer told me I was going to beat the case, actually. He's like, they have no proof that whatever. They, they, they say they pulled you over for drinking and driving. They can't lie. They, they're refusing to show their dash cam footage and whatnot. So you're going to beat this. Goes, Even though you he, had 20 or 11. Yeah. He goes, but he goes, this smells a very lot like a federal case. So I don't, he goes, you got to watch yourself. So sure enough, shortly after that, I figure out that my case was being dropped in the state and it was being transferred to the federal court case.
So and then, that's like, oh, shit. Yeah, because I asked my lawyer about that. I'm like, okay, well, what goes on with that? And he said, well, you're looking at anywhere from eight months or 10 months to 10 years. I'm like, cool window. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Spread. Yeah. yeah, awesome. So having to go back and share that with my, my family was quite the ordeal. And When was the first time that you spoke to your family? Uh, it took about two weeks. Yeah, they had already they, known. They, they, had, they had figured it out because my sister had actually started sending me care packages and letters and just asking me to phone home. And she's like, we figured out where you are, blah, blah, blah. Right. But it was, it was too hard. And I actually remember talking to one of the other guys and he kept offering phone time. He's like, go ahead, use, you feel free, blah, blah, blah. I just remember phoning. I couldn't even talk. I just the crying. Like, there was yeah. nothing I could say. I was so ashamed, so embarrassed. And, yeah. and, and they had found out from the dog, they, well, from Yeah, the from, dog. from getting that letter, yeah. yeah. So they were able to track me down. They didn't, they called, yeah, they called every hospital in San Diego. They called everything. Because they knew that. I told them where I was going in San Diego. I just, I told them for the fishing stuff. So they had a general idea of my location. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So the, your sister's sending you letters. The first time you called, like, when was the first time you talked to your family? Yeah, it would have been about two weeks. I remember I was, I think I actually just finished getting a haircut. I had to shave my head to yeah. be a trustee, which is dumb. So we're sitting in the little waiting room there, and there's a phone there. So I finally just caved the one day, and I asked the guy, I'm like, okay, here's your phone. Hmm. So I called, and I had not many words were exchanged. It was just, she's, yeah, I was happy to figure out where I was, or that I was alive, essentially, because they thought the worst. They assumed that if I wasn't with my dog, I was dead, because it's how much my dog means to right. me. Kind of like we just went everywhere together, so, yeah. yeah. When you spoke to your mom, was it your mom? That it was spoke? my sister, actually. It took quite a... I, I didn't talk to my mom until in the new year after. I couldn't... Yeah. yeah. And and was this after that you had your 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 case was settled? How long did it take well, for them to actually have a, a verdict? Well, see, you? I actually got tra I got transferred from the first place I was at because they figured out my co-defendant was... I, I didn't even recognize him because they make you shave your face and shave your head. Right. Um, we were, he ended up in the trustee tank too. And I seen this guy, I'm like, he kind of looks familiar. Later that night, I get a call down by one of the officers. I go down there, like you're being transferred, roll out. I was like, what? And I had no idea what was going on. So I got transferred from that, um, county jail to a different county jail. And then I just kind of, and then asked, he finally told me why after. And he goes, well, your co-defendants in there with you. So you can't be in there. Oh. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, I really had no idea. So Wait, he was your co-defendant because he was the were, guy I met. Gotcha. And I had no so idea. So they, they got him. And yeah. Shortly they thereafter. Had, they had, and that's where I found out after all the paperwork, they raided his house or his stash house. Yeah. Like two days later, three days later. And, you know, obviously not getting into specifics, but he was looking at some serious stuff. Yeah. I think I actually, I found him online after, since I've been home, I think he ended up getting seven years. So. I mean. You hear these like crazy amounts of time. They, they changed the laws, and that's what we're going to touch on later. Okay. But I lucked out. I'll tell you a little after, okay. and everything yeah. changed. But yeah, so I ended up getting transferred from that, and that's my, when I got the lot of final court date. I was only in the place. The place I got transferred was actually nicknamed the Thunderdome. It was called George Bailey uh, Correctional Facility, and that's where my sister actually did come down to see me then when they figured out, which was amazing. My sister and brother-in-law flew down, and she Googled this place and looked it up, and it's got like the 20 foot high fences, barbed wire, like scary looking place. And she right. was, so she's freaking out going, where the hell, is, where are you taking my brother? My sister's 12 years older than me. Yes. So she's like very protective. And Was this like a, yeah. like a, what do they call them? 
like a prison, like a max. Yeah, it was considered maximum, maximum security. security. Yeah, it was considered maximum security right. for that one. But there's different levels of people in there still, right? Sure. So they, they, they do their best to house you with lowest level, but that doesn't always mean what it means. Yeah, what's so, low level, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've only exactly. killed three people. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay, you're low level. Yeah. yeah. So they, yeah, I only end up being there, thank God, for two or three days. Do you, do you just have, again, I want to be mindful of what you're willing to mm-hmm. uh, talk about, but do you just have the older sister? Yeah. I got another, she's a half sister as well, but um, I have another half sister I've never met. Right. So, but so, that's so only, you, I consider. You have this sibling. Yeah. She's the first person that you see. She's your closest contact. Yeah, her and my brother-in-law showed up and yeah, right. it was it was tough. I, I remember going to see them and there was, uh, it was only like plexiglass between say you and I right now and I'm yeah. talking to phone while staring at them and it was hard. Really, really hard. And that was two days after I just found out that things had been dropped and I was waiting to get picked up by the U.S. Marshal. They said a U.S. Marshal and a federal agent would come to get me, another federal agent. So okay. then I ended up getting picked up the next morning by a U.S. Marshal and a lady from the FBI special whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They all, they all say that. Yeah. <laughs> they all yeah. say they're it's, special it's agent, blah, blah, blah. These are my credentials. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, show yeah. me. I know I'm fucked, so like, <laughs> yeah. let's just do this. Yeah. So where do they, where do they take you? After they end that? up taking me to uh, MCC San Diego, and booked me in there, and that's where I end up. They brought in my co-defendant, right. and he sit down, and we figured out at that time that who each other were. Yeah. And because it's not like you guys were, you know. I didn't buddies. honestly I didn't even know him. Yeah, like I yeah. didn't even like that's we passed each other on stairs, and I did not even recognize him. Yeah. Like that's how. Why? Because you're so probably. Oh, when I met him, I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I'm not there to make friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So they took us there. We sat. We ended up sitting on a bench beside each other, and I'm like, I didn't even recognize you. Mm. And he goes, I recognized you. And that was it. And then as all the word, only other words we exchanged were, "Are you going to talk?" No. And he goes, "Me neither." And that right. was it. We actually ended up getting after your processor there. We ended up staying on the same floor because in that place it was um, what's the word? It's all open housing. I can't remember what it's called right now. But anyway, so there ended up being four pods on each floor. Like it's a big, it's a big 12, 13, 14 story building in, in downtown San Diego. So there's, in the four corners, I want to say we had 20, or was 30 people per upper and lower on each corner. So right. 60 people per unit. He ended up being in one of the kitty corner ones from me. But yeah, we stayed in that same floor together for six months, I think it was. Why you're awaiting trial. Yeah, because because then now after we'd already gone through all the yeah. county stuff, yeah. that meant nothing. Now we're waiting to go for... It just restarted. Yeah, it all restarts. So again, you have to go through all the... Like, there was even more so federally, I think. Yeah, I think I'm going to court for a federal case like 10, 11 times. So what were you charged with? I ended up being charged with um, conspiracy and distribution. Right. And then, and what was the the time that? Well, when I first got there, the everything on the federal system down there works on points. Yeah. And um, and you you had no criminal record. Before no. This. So, yeah. but it all it doesn't matter. It goes by the charges in the books down gotcha. there. So everything was a minute. My mandatory minimum was ten years. Like that was just it was what it was. Um, and that's what I was saying. I ended up getting helped out while I was down there. Um, Trump actually signed a thing called the First Step Act. And it helped out anyone who had no previous criminal record, nonviolent offenders, whatever. It brought your um, points down. Whoa! So that really, so Trump did something. He he helped me. He, he is signing something else that I'm not allowed to ever go there again because it's my 
if you do anything over any time over a year in America, it's considered an aggravated felony. Gotcha. So now that, that so being me, even though I had a nonviolent crime, blah blah blah, I'll never allow in the states again, and I'm okay with that. That's fine. But yeah, anyways, he signed that thing, and that helped me tremendously, obviously. Wow. And so that ended up bringing all my stuff down. And my lawyer was showing me, like on the high end, I was looking at like four years. Um, yeah. So after all that process and all that stuff, just trying to learn, if you get the feelers for it, and because learning the after when you go get sentenced. You're, depending on your judge, your judge can bring it down yes. or your judge can go above. Yeah. And there was two really, really aggressive judges in San Diego um, who hated drugs and they didn't care. Hanging they, judges, they call yeah, those, right? Exactly. And yeah. it didn't matter if you were in a drug charge, even if your point said you should only get five, you got 10. They just, they didn't care. So yeah. I remember lucking out and I got a, a good judge and uh, I ended up talking to a couple of guys. I went through a cycle. They would bring people back in there to MCC who had started there. So there was this old fella, he, he, what the heck was he in there for? It was like selling illegal diamonds or something crazy. But he was like a 75 year old guy, like yeah. just whatever. He ended up having the same judge. So he was giving me hints on it. He goes, my wife did a lot of research and I wrote a really uh, good letter. And he's a, this judge does a lot of work for families and likes right. to reunite families. So he said, write a heartfelt letter, Touch on families. You want to have be reunited with your family. Blah blah blah. So, I put some, put a thought into it, and I could, I thought about it for like a month, and finally put this letter together and got it sent off to the the judge. And my had my family write some letters in as well. And yeah, and I I really think that went a long way because I think when I went in for my sentencing, my guideline points were still I was looking at like three to four years. Right. And he brought it down. He sentenced me to twenty one months. Wow. Yeah. Like, and I remember like standing there and like. I was in shock. I just started crying. My lawyer was even like tapping me on the arm and then yeah. he's writing down, he goes, with all your good time, he goes, you're looking at, he wrote down 18 months. And at that point I'd already served 10. Because yeah, of the because whole process. Of, oh, that's how long yeah. everything Do they takes. add that to it? That's all time served too. Oh, so that okay, went gotcha. towards it. So yeah. Or I think it was eight months. So it took eight months. Sorry. Yeah. Cause I think I did 10 months at the prison I ended up going to. So. Right. Yeah. So that's. That like was, I was like. I, I felt great and just knowing after like an end date and you can see right. something, right? And yeah. Yeah, it was it was cool. This is not forever. No, exactly. So everything changed. My, my sister and brother-in-law came down for my sentencing as well. So they were sitting there and it was cool. So then you do your time at, this is at the, the prison max. That, no, this is, you know, the, I, MCC's um, considered that as well. This is a yeah. different one. That's because that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so MCC, that's still considered max, but. I don't know. It's like just what they call all their federal places and all the big cities and the major uh, metropolitan areas. So, so did you just serve your time in the states, or did you get extradited? Um, no, I did. Canada? I did all my time in the states. You could have. I could have applied for. It's called a treaty transfer. Right. Um, and the, the way that works is you being in Canada, you only serve fifty percent of your time in Canada. I learned only fifty. Like, say you got sentenced to ten years. Yeah. You're only serving five here. Right. So if say if for mine down there, if I was able to get transferred home, I would have only served, I had to serve nine, like I would have been off and free, but you end up having to do parole here and all that stuff. Gotcha. Whereas I did it all my time down there. I have no criminal record in Canada. I didn't have any, I didn't have to do anything when I got home. Like it was nothing. Yeah. I was just free and clear and yeah. With the exception, obviously being a felon and right. <laughs> having to 
not be able to go to the States and try to explain that to certain people sometimes. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, let's, let's go to Vegas. Ah, yeah, well, you guys enjoy, right? Or learning, even trying to date nowadays. It's like, how do you say that to somebody? Or, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I mean, they do talk about, have you ever heard of recidivism? Oh. And and what that is is it's like somebody's likelihood of reoffending. Yes, yes, they did talk a lot about because I actually did a lot of programming courses and stuff, and I, yeah, stuff where they tried to make you not. Yeah, because <laughs> you have to prove to, f- to them that you're a yes, changed person. Exactly. Yeah. So at what point in all of this are you like, I'm never putting myself here in this situation again? As soon as I was pulled over by those cops. Yeah, like you there, knew you. There was you knew, no. Yeah, yeah. I knew I I knew that I shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Right. I was dumb. Right. Yeah, I knew. I knew immediately. <laughs> yeah. What were the? Because I'm very close with my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad died when I was a young guy, teenager, and I think that shaped who I became as a person. Yeah. And I could only imagine that if I was in your situation, what my mother would say to me. What was the first thing that she said to you when you spoke to her on the phone? I'm glad you're okay. Glad you're alive. Yeah. Right. Not like, what are you doing? That's all she cared about, right? Yep. Yeah. Even even still to this day, she's never she's never questioned anything. She never shamed you. No, not at all. Right. No. I even I think it was just a couple weeks ago. I I brought it up. And just I had to get it off my chest just to tell her why I was doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. She's like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a mother? Right? Yeah. Like she's we didn't have that. She always worked hard, and she was a single mom, essentially, too. My dad was in and out of my life the whole time and whatnot. So she was always working two jobs and doing whatever she had to provide. And just, we never had much, right? So right. I just, I just wanted better. I just wanted, yeah. wanted something. That's really what this... That's yeah. how we can get ourselves wrapped in this. Yeah, exactly. What, what has changed in you since all of this? Um... Learned I'm a much stronger person than I ever knew I was. That I can, I can get through anything. I can navigate through whatever. And yeah, I learned that my family loves me more than I ever mm. thought. And like that was a big one. It's kind of it's funny though. It's kind of changed. I know they'll be there when I need them, but it's funny now. That it's almost like the novelty's worn off since I'm right. at home. Where You're it's kind of like, yeah he's, yeah, he's good. He's whatever. We don't need to talk to him anymore because right. I'm actually still staying with my sister until I get back on my feet completely. And yeah, because that's where my dog ended up staying. So, dude, how, you got to tell me how that was. When oh, you saw your dog. I'll cry even harder. That's the hardest to cry. Um, yeah, that was wild because they got me home through COVID times. Right. So they had my travel trailer there because my sister and brother in law actually went oh, down. Oh, they drove that back. They drove, yeah, they I'm went sure down you there. You just wanted to see that thing. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, so it was COVID time. So they brought me home and I had to uh, strip down and get out of my shit and my clothes. And so I went in the trailer and changed and then. Uh, I could hear my <laughs> go on the patio, and uh, yeah, I just called his name, but he just came running. And just big, <laughs> yeah. Just it was crazy. Like nothing had changed. No, no. Except he was really, really fat. <laughs> <laughs> he was way fatter than he'd ever been. But yeah, that was that was a crazy moment. Yeah. And that must have been the moment that you're like. Well, what do you want to do now? What do I want to do now? Yeah. That's a tough question. I just want to move forward and 
be happy as a person, but I don't know. I help people if I can to not make fucking same mistakes I did. Right. That's something. Right. Yeah. I've thought a lot about, you know, how there's a war on drugs. Yeah. You know, it started with Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And there was never any compassion no. for people who struggle with drugs. Yeah. Right. Obviously, it's different from, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the side that you were on. But why do we fight the war on drugs and not why people are doing drugs? Well, it's, it's sad that such a small group of people do focus on that. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the government doesn't care. It's all business for them. They really don't care. They want the drugs out there. The right. Where they, I, I bet the drugs that they seized from me ended up back in the cartel's hands. Like that, to me, that's how crooked they are down there. Holy it's all shit. just a business. That's right. all, it's like prison systems or business. It's all it is is a business for them down there. So. Can, can you explain that more? Just learning, um, the prison I actually ended up serving my time, the rest of my time at was in Taft, California, mm-hmm. and it ended up getting closed. But just learning all the, how there was different companies bidding to run these prisons because it was so much money that they could make running these prisons. Like, it's, it's insane. Like, like what kinds of companies? Uh, like the place, uh, the one that ran the one I was at was MCT, I think it was called management tra- or MT. I can't remember, but so prisons are, are some of them are by pr- corporations. Some of them are. They're no. Some they're all owned by the federal, the right. government, but they but they bid on the they bid on other they, these other but these other companies to come in and run them, and they make serious money off them, like tons and tons of money. So now Cal- the state of California is actually trying to push out privatized prisons because of all the bidding craziness that goes on. Well, I saw this this documentary, and it's talking about shit. What is it? Anyways, it's it's essentially saying, you know what Jim Crow is? Mm-mm. It was like in the South there was slavery, right? Okay. But then there was uh, the Civil War and they had to get rid of slavery, uh-huh. right? Yeah. But now they have prisons. Yes. And so many of the inmates are black. Yep. The, such a high percentage there. Like I feel bad for yeah, and it's about and all oh, the racism there. That's all prison is. Prison is the most racist experience of your life. Like that's that's. I don't mean to shit talk America so much, but that's they're they're bred to be racist and hate each other. Especially because such a big population, you can see such a big population yeah. of African Americans go to prison and jail. No other option, almost like other than to be because they're kind of like you. They're in this situation when I just want to get ahead. Yeah, so many of these guys are yeah they're just doing something to try to get ahead or because they don't get the opportunities that normally would. And in America, if you have any kind of criminal record, You're... you you can't get a job. Yeah. You can't even work at McDonald's if you're a felon. Which is why people reoffend. Then that's, that's what, what I mean. It's business. all a business. It's all a, they want everyone to end up back in prison down there. I was so many guys that so heartbreaking. one guy was he had he was my rep at MCC. He was 20, 28 years old. He'd already spent nine years in the system. In and out. Twenty years? He was twenty sorry. Twenty nine. He'd already so spent he's nine 20, years. His life. His entire yeah. And he was looking at 25 years and I think I looked him up he actually got a, he ended up getting 20 years and what and sorry what was it if you're able to his charges yeah he was he was mailing drugs and stuffed animals to like Guatemala or something he was mm-hmm. mailing meth and uh, credit card fraud 
he got yeah yeah just bad stuff he was but to me he always acted like i'm not that bad of a person i'm like you're wrecking people's lives <laughs> like with stealing their credit and fucking up their shit right. and then sending super meth across right. the ocean to fuck up people in guatemala or wherever the hell he was sending it like i think there's a huge level of detachment yeah right you yeah. know what i mean like i'm just doing this yeah. not what the he, he blamed on him because he enjoyed getting high himself he liked doing math and whatnot so he's like well i'm only able to think like that when i get high so that's not the real me like that is you it's unfortunately yeah. right now you can tell you beat that demon right that's that's you yeah yeah so. you're imprisoned by it yeah exactly that is what controls you yeah but like 29 years old he'd already like nine years of his life yeah that's wild that's, that, that's one just third all, of that, his life that's all he knows as an adult is how to function in that fucking twisted society <laughs> are, are like you mentioned that you see the racism when you're in this prison. Are you able to elaborate a little bit on that? Well, everything worked on your own race. Like everything was, you, whites hung out with whites, Mexicans right. split up with two groups. There was one called the Pices and then uh, Southsiders. Southsiders were like the Americanized, like homies. Mm-hmm. Um, then obviously blacks. And then others would usually be natives or Asians. But that was it. Others. There was no... You weren't really allowed to, yeah, yeah the, the reps had to talk to each other. Like, you weren't really just allowed to hang out with. Did the reps keep them separated? The, or was this if you choice? if you chose not to follow, you got beat up. By inmates? Yeah, by your own, by your own color. Like, that was the only people who ever really laid hands on you was your own people. Like, if, if you step on line in any which way, you have to be, you get beat up. It, like, I got asked to beat people up all the time. You take, you, you take them in the shower and beat the shit out of them. No headshots, no fear, nothing like that. You just beat the shit out of their body so you don't get in trouble. Are you able to share if any of that ever happened? Uh, I didn't. I refused to do it for punishment. I ended up getting in a couple of fights just mm-hmm. out of just disagreements, but I refused to be a part of the punishing people for that shit. And I was always just so low key. I didn't get in trouble. Right. So. Yeah. 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 You knew to but keep it. But I witnessed it. Like it was. It was messed up to see. Why would they? Like, why did they want? Why are they keeping the segregation? Like, what's the argument? That's just that? the their prison code. That's just the way. That's, it is. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and even like all the officers know that, and yeah, it's messed up. Wow. It, it was a that was that was tough to see how racist it was down there. Like it was, it was crazy. Do you think there could ever be any sort of solution for that? No, no, I don't think they could ever fix that down there. There's just the way. It, it's sad to keep saying that, but it's just yeah. the way it is, and that's. Fuck. Yeah, wow. and then that pours out into their regular life when they do hit the streets. Right, they're just racist. Yeah, because <laughs> it's yeah. it's ingrained in them, sadly. <laughs> so what was uh, again only what you can share, of course? But what was the scariest, like the scariest part of being down there? Mm, probably the first little bit in county jail was the scariest part. Having like a, I'm not a big guy, right. but having like a six foot six, monstrous black fella threatened to kill me and asking me when when i go to court because that's when they do all their beating up because you get put in the holding cells or the big main holding tank all together with yeah. no handcuffs and no nothing so if you want and that if someone you had a beef with someone that's when something went on oh and especially county jail is a little bit different story than like the prisons for that stuff because county jail is so short term like right. a lot of those guys are only in there for and the funding isn't the same obviously yeah right yeah so it was a little different so if that was really it you have my life threatened but that, but he, was times. he just was he just messing with you? Or? He was mad, so I was serving him food, and he got mad because I slammed his 
his little <laughs> thing on his door. But yeah, and then I ended up uh, passing ways of them when he was out there. But there have to be officers in the in the open area, so nothing happened. Oh, so he was serious. Oh yeah, he wanted to kill me. Yeah, thousand percent. Jesus. Yeah. Did you? I'm sure you met some some pretty interesting people. Like, did you make? friends out of this? I got kind of close with one kid and I felt bad because he ended up again touching the racist shit. He was actually a super good kid. He was like 18. Mm-hmm. He was in there. He ended up getting a couple years. He got busted for bringing some math across, walking math across the border from Mexico into, into the States. Right. He, um, but he had, a, he had a lot of mental health issues and I've struggled with that myself with depression and anxiety and stuff like that. And he was struggling with it. So I was really drawn to him just trying to help him through all that stuff. So we got kind of tight. But I had I watched him get beat up and jump by 20, 20 paises, and you can't. If I was to get involved, it's just bad news. Like even my rep was holding me back. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. But that was the closest I would say to making friends. But yeah, I did meet some interesting people. Like you please spend a lot of time with people just playing cards and right. watching TV or exchanging books or making food together. And yeah, there you meet some you meet some different folks. <laughs> That's I, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've often heard that. In so many people who end up in the jails, they said, you know, if I just would have taken a few more seconds to think before I acted, I wouldn't be here. Yep. So now that you're out, you're you're getting back on your feet. Mm -hmm. What's the message that you have for people who might be? There's always a better solution. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's always a different way out than the easy way. Because that's what. So, but it doesn't. That's not for everyone though. Because I'd say that nothing comes easy. Some people it it does just work out, mm-hmm. and that works for like I could have say I got off scot free or you know did what I did and got away with it. I don't know. I don't know how I'd be, but it's it's give me the mentality that you got to work for what you want. Right. And if I want to be successful and happy and have the things that I want, I got to work for it. So. When this happened and the way it unfolded, if you would have got off scot-free, say, do you think you would have changed? I'd probably be dead. I probably would have partied my face off. Because <laughs> of the stress. I would, yeah, this, the, the stress either could have killed me or else just having that money and just the lifestyle I would have been li- living. Right. Because it's easy to say I was going to do that because I wanted to, say, start a business or buy a house or whatnot. I probably would have come home had several thousand dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and just lived like a rock star and probably killed myself. Right. I honestly think that. So I, I think getting caught saved my life and taught me some pretty goddamn valuable lessons. And what, what are those lessons? You got to work hard. You got to work hard. Again, like just uh, how strong I am as a person, just learn that. And just family, your family and your friends that are, will accept you, they're, they're there even if you don't know. Like. Right. When you fuck up, you really know who yep. who's there. Yep. I, the guy who was my best friend who I used to talk to on the phone every single day, he hasn't accepted me since I've come home. Because of the shame. I don't even know why he won't say it. And I get it. And I, I, I kind of, I try to tell myself that maybe, you know, he's just people outgrow each other or whatnot, or I just don't know. I don't know if it's just a disappointment, if he's embarrassed or whatever, or maybe some guilt that he feels shitty that he just didn't know I was in that place in my life and he didn't help me. Who knows what it could be, but yeah, I lost some people out of it. It is what it is. 
but I've also gained some people and really learned that some people love me a hell of a lot more than I ever thought. So, yeah. what well, maybe in many ways the true you can now yeah come out right exactly you exactly know? you got dragged through <laughs> shit and mud yeah this is who you are you got nothing to hide no i just can't really <laughs> right <laughs> it's, it's out it's out so this is me. what's gonna keep you away and you know i'm not a parole officer <laughs> you don't even have to answer this question <laughs> but what's gonna keep you away from making these choices again like have these people tried to reach out to you no i haven't been in contact with any of them yeah but that, I, honestly, it wouldn't even have to be a worry. It's something, something I would never, ever consider again. Right. Never. Right. No, I end up lucking out now. I got a, I have a really good career opportunity now when things are moving forward like that. And it's, it's good. I'm, I'm happy about that. And yeah, things are looking positive. So, good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, yeah. earlier you had mentioned that you help out younger people. Are you able to share sort of that side oh, Just of with things? that. But even since I've been home, I was talking to a friend I play slow pitch with, he runs um, rehab houses, facilities. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him if it would be okay if I came to talk to some people and just search the young guys, like just to keep their nose clean and just try to, you know, let them know that that might not be a path they want to go. And right. Yeah. So kind of sharing your, your sobriety. Yep. How long have you been sober for? Well, I'm not, I wouldn't say sober, oh, okay, but, okay. Yeah, but yeah. I don't do that stuff, but bad things. We'll say I don't do terrible yeah, legal yeah, things. Yeah. Yes. Sober from... Hard drugs, let's just call it. Uh, what year is this? What month is this? It's been a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you, man. I'm yeah. proud of you. Yeah. So we need to stop living our lives like there's no consequences. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And I did the same. You did the same. And by there being consequences, that's what is taught me that life is incredibly valuable yep time is so valuable the time the losing of the time that is the kicker yeah the time i lost with my dog um my stepdad who was terminally ill he passed while i was gone not being able to be that have that time to be there with my mom all the stress the extra stress that fell on my sister of having to help my mom all that this time in general is did you get to speak to your stepdad i couldn't they didn't want to dare tell him where I was when they figured out. So right. they didn't know if the stress would be too much. So yeah. I'm a pretty spiritual guy. So the day I found out he was gone, I'm like, now you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, I am too, uh, like I said, my dad, I believe in bald eagles. Thanks. And all throughout my life, whenever shit goes south, there's a bald eagle. Yeah. So anything like that for your stepdad? No, not yet. Not yet. I haven't, I haven't discovered that yet. There's a, there's a lot of time. I, I feel like he, yeah. I feel like he's watching me when I go to the house, though, when I go visit my mom. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Did you have uh, anything else to to share with the our listeners? Not really. Just keep your nose clean and be good. Yeah. Make good choices. <laughs> exactly. Make good choices. My friend, thank you very much. Keep helping others to keep doing the right thing. Perfect. Because I know you are. Thank you. All right, thank you. Once again, that was Levy Newman sharing his story of imprisonment, freedom, and reintegration to society. I'm very hopeful for him, and I believe that he will continue to help others and change their lives for the better through his story. We look forward to having him on again in the future. 
I close our show with a question for you. What is the greatest mistake you ever made? And what did you learn from it? Not the shame, not the blame, but the lessons. What did your greatest failure give you? I believe that every failure is a chance to become better if we choose to let it teach us. And if we choose to become better from it. If you enjoyed this show, please be sure to share it with friends and family. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant, and I'm probably wrong about everything.